0: Welcome to the Emergency Management Podcast, a show about planning for, responding to and recovering from emergencies. I'm Stuart Walker, and this is the place where we talk to emergency management professionals and learn from them so that we can make a positive impact on the safety of our community. Normally my introductions are short, but I want to take time to reflect on the current bushfire season in Australia. As I edit this podcast, I've just completed my third deployment as the Deputy Incident Controller at the Bensdale Incident Control Centre, located in eastern Victoria. The bushfire season in Australia has been one of the toughest on record. In Victoria alone, we have lost over 1.3 million hectares of forest and pasture. The fire has had a huge impact on the community and the recovery will take years. Sadly, we have seen a number of firefighters die serving their community. It is a constant reminder of the dangers faced by our men and women in the field. I would also like to take time to thank you for supporting the firefighting effort. I also want to thank your family. They forgo time with you so that you can serve the community during these prolonged campaigns. And now to the podcast. In this session, we talked to Greg Leach. Queensland's new Fire and Emergency Services Commissioner. I recorded this interview back in November 2019. Greg has over 32 years experience in the emergency services. He commenced with the Country Fire Authority, then moved to Ambulance Victoria, and most recently, he's worked with the Metropolitan Fire Brigade. In this episode, Greg talks about his career and some of the key challenges that the emergency management sector is facing now and in the future. Greg Leach, welcome to the Emergency Management Podcast.
1: Thanks, Stuart. Thanks for having me.
0: Greg, when did you realise you had a passion for emergency management?
1: I think I, I always had a passion uh, for firefighting. I grew up on a, on a farm in central Victoria. Uh, my dad was uh, the apparatus officer of the brigade for for a long time when I was little, and then uh, he did a term as brigade captain. And so I joined the local brigade when I was 13 as a junior and uh, I think I went to my first fire when I was 16. So always pretty passionate, um, but probably never really considered a career with the emergency services. Uh, I I did a motor mechanics apprenticeship, uh, worked at a Holden dealer for five years. Then uh, I went working for Country Fire Authority as a as a mechanic, and uh, and it wasn't until one day I was. I was uh, sort of servicing the car of the assistant chief officer and he said to me, you know, we're recruiting at the moment, you should you should really think about joining. And, and I thought, well, yeah, I've, I've always enjoyed being a member of CFA, why not take it a step further? So that's how it all started for me.
0: You obviously had an interesting start to your career and since then you've gone on to study a Masters of Emergency Management and a Master of Business Administration. You must be thankful for those opportunities.
1: Yeah, it's been quite a journey. And one of the things I'm forever grateful for is the opportunities I've had uh, through CFA and the other services I've worked for to get those sort of professional development opportunities. um, We're very fortunate in the emergency services to be well supported in the training and development that we get.
0: You did your Master's in Emergency Management. What was the subject and what did you learn?
1: Mm. Uh, I did my Master's in Emergency Management through Charles Sturt University. I completed that in 2010. Uh, And it was a research-based Master's. And my area of interest was around the training and development requirements for Level 3 incident controllers. So having been a Level 3 incident controller myself, Uh, very interested in professional development, and I was trying to work out what are the skill sets required of someone to be a good Level 3 incident controller because whilst you can come through and do an AIMS training course – that prepares you somewhat for the role of an incident controller, but anyone who's performed the role will understand how complex it is and the diverse range of challenges you get faced with as an incident controller. And I've always had a strong interest in training. I've um, facilitated on a number of leadership and development programs across Australia, inclu- including a program called the Advanced Incident Leadership Program that was run out of Western Australia for a number of years. And so I was very interested to understand what the skill set is required of a level three instant controller. And so I, I ran a, uh, a survey and uh, I sent it out to every jurisdiction in Australia. And uh, I was very fortunate; I had a really good response rate from a whole range of very experienced level three incident controllers. And I captured information about uh, their formal uh, qualifications and schooling and training that they'd had. And I also captured information about you know what they'd learnt through the school of hard knocks, if mm-hmm. you like. And then I also talked to them about their different learning styles and how they um, found that what was most useful for them. And so I was able to pull together a research report that really captured that and, and I guess broadly speaking most people felt that their organisations were preparing them reasonably well with a good mix of technical firefighting and incident management type training supported by a range of administrative management and leadership type training but I think there's still opportunities for us to understand how we can better prepare our level three incident controllers or in fact all of our emergency management people that might undertake an AIMS role in the future.
0: Ames ICS has now been in, uh, in Victoria, or Australia now, for about the last 30 years, I suppose. How have you seen that develop in your career?
1: Uh, so, Ames in Australia uh, sort of kicked off about the time that I uh, joined the career staff of CFA, so I did my recruit course in 1988, and I think it was 1989 when then Chief Officer Brian Potter uh um, along with a team of people, introduced AIMS uh, into into Country Fire Authority uh, on the back of the NIMS system from California that, that Brian had seen. And I think it was also um, based on the large fire organisation that the Department of Conservation, Forests and Lands was using at the time. So I did my AIMS course in 1989 and I think I became an AIMS instructor in 1991. And of course in those days AIMS was... Um, uh, very condensed compared to what it was now. So I think there was an old AIMS 404 course, as it was known, which was, um, I think it was a four-day program and a 48-hour exercise. Uh, and so it was, it was pretty basic. And what we've seen today is it's, 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 um, uh, it's expanded into the AIMS structure as we know it today. Uh, with lots of training opportunities in each of the functional roles and, and AIMS has been accepted not only across fire services but across emergency management agencies more broadly across Australia. And so um, I think in terms of uh, interoperability, um, uh, intrastate, you know, between agencies and of course, um, interstate as well. Uh, it gives us, gives us some clarity and some surety that when we go interstate, like we are at the moment with New South Wales and Queensland, the people can operate safely in another jurisdiction. You know, understanding the the system of work that's in place.
0: Yeah, I must say, uh, I think I'm heading up to New South Wales or Queensland on Wednesday, and, and I guess having that background names ICS, knowing that the broad structures are going to be the same, will give me at least some level of comfort about what I'm going into. Mm. And, and looking back now in your career, did you have any idea where it would take you when you began?
1: Ah, uh, no, not at all. Um, I started off uh, as an assistant regional officer. I did my recruit course at Fiskville, the CFA's training college, in 1988, and uh, uh, back to Bendigo for a period of time, and then off to Swan Hill. Um, and that's where I spent my first couple of years. Uh, no, for me, it's always been just taking the journey one step at a time, and and things follow. You know, I think when you're passionate and you enjoy what you're doing, the the opportunities follow you.
0: And, and looking back now in career, what 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 have you found to be the biggest challenge that you've had to overcome?
1: Uh, look, prob- probably a few. Um, every organisation you work for. Uh, I've had I had 21 years with Country Fire Authority, and that was absolutely fantastic. And then I went working for Ambulance Victoria. Took up a job with Rural Ambulance in 2007, uh, and uh, then joined the Metropolitan Fire Brigade 2014. And so it's been about getting to understand those new organisations, who they are, what they do, and the contribution that I can make as part of it. So that was a little bit about testing myself as well. You know, seeing what what I could do outside side of my traditional role with CFA.
0: And were you at Ambulance, sorry, were you at Rural Ambulance when the merger between the Metropolitan Ambulance Service and the Rural Ambulance Service occurred?
1: I was. I joined Rural Ambulance as part of a refresh of the management team there in 2007, along with a colleague of mine, Gary Cook, from from CFA. The two of us joined uh, as regional managers with Rural Ambulance Victoria, and we'd been there about 12 months when the government of the day made the decision to create a single ambulance service for Victoria, and so uh, the whole journey started all over again. Um, I was lucky enough to be part of the interim executive team for Ambulance Victoria to create the organisational structure uh, and bring the two, the three services, as it was then, uh, into a single service. And um, uh, that was probably one of the most exciting times of my career in terms of getting the opportunity of paramedics. And the thing I really liked about Ambulance was the single focus for everyone... The recognition of what they're there to do and it's all about um, patient care and so everyone's focused on doing the best they can for the patient irrespective of where they work in Victoria, the skill set that they might have, everyone's interest is about ensuring the, the best outcomes for every patient.
0: And Greg, you're about to leave Victoria now and take on a new role as Queensland's new Fire and Emergency Services Commissioner. Can you tell me what Queensland Fire and Emergency Services is firstly and how big it is and then perhaps a little bit about your new role?
1: Yes, uh, look, great opportunity. I'm really excited by this. So um, I I leave the Metropolitan Fire Brigade at the end of this week um, and start a new journey in Queensland uh, on the 2nd of December. Uh, It's... um, Queensland Fire and Emergency Service is is six years young as an organisation so it was the bringing together of a number of uh, former agencies up there so the Fire and Rescue Service which is essentially the structural or urban firefighting force within Queensland uh, rural fire brigades uh, the State Emergency Service Uh, and a a former organisation called Emergency Management Queensland all came together to form uh, Queensland Fire and Emergency Service. So I'm starting a new role as the Commissioner up there, Um, really excited to be taking that on. Um, it's, a, it's quite a broad role, um, as well as being the Commissioner. I'm also the Director General of Emergency Management within Queensland, and I'm also the Chair of the Public Safety Business Agency, which is the uh, procurement arm. It's the shared services arm uh, that procures equipment, vehicles, etc., for both Queensland Fire and Emergency Service and the Queensland Police Service. So a very interesting role. I've had the opportunity to get up to Queensland in the last few weeks, um, met my executive colleagues, uh, met a lot of people within the, the organisation uh and Leon, yeah, i'm quite excited although you know uh, queensland are under the pump at the moment they've had a significant fire season um it, it started back in september and it's still continuing and it looks like unless we get a break in the weather it's going to run right up till christmas and perhaps beyond so uh yeah i'm, I'm cognizant i'm walking in at a pretty interesting time you are Indeed. Um, but look really really looking forward to the challenge
0: Can I ask, what did it feel like when you were first notified that you were successful in gaining that position? Do you remember what where you were? Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, uh, uh, Excited and daunted all at the same time, you know. So terrific opportunity, but um, but then you start thinking through the logistics of uh, moving interstate and and you know um, family connections, family impacts, uh, those sorts of things. But at the same time, excited. That um, that that you know the trust has been put in me in this important role, and uh, and I get an opportunity to lead an organisation that sort of recognises a contemporary fire and emergency service uh, within Australia. So yeah, it's it's pretty exciting.
0: In in relation to that, I guess what does excite you most about the role?
1: Oh, look, I think just the opportunity to, to work again in an organisation that has um, volunteers and career people, I think the, their numbers are something like 45,000 volunteers across rural fire and the state emergency service, uh, about 5,500 staff uh, all up, uh, including 2,200 uh, fire rescue staff. Um, and uh, staff within the public safety business agency. So an opportunity to lead a big team of people with a diverse set of skills, delivering services right across across Queensland. And it's not just fire. Uh, Of course, there's um, cyclone season, um, floods, storms, uh, a whole range of things. And so... QFUS uh, is 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 a uh, um, is a multi multi uh, hazard agency, so that's that's pretty exciting.
0: Absolutely, yeah. You'll certainly be, uh, I guess, somewhat out of your comfort zone going to these ideas like cyclones, and uh, perhaps perhaps you've dealt with floods before, but I don't imagine you've played in the cyclone space before. No,
1: no, not at all. I've I've obviously got a lot to learn. So you know, for me, it's about. Uh, sitting back, observing for the first few months, doing a lot of listening and not a lot of talking and yeah. just um, just getting to understand how they do business up there because um, they tell me Queensland experiences on average about 12 cyclones a year, yeah. of which three on average cross the coast. And so cyclones are something that uh, I think as an organisation and communities are well prepared for up there and, uh, and I think they're... Uh they're, they're pretty good at uh, recognising the weather patterns, getting the community messaging out, making sure the community is ready and as resilient as they can be, can be and then helping to get in and, and do the consequence management post-impact. So, yeah, looking forward to understanding uh, how that all fits in.
0: And what do you see as the key challenges for the emergency management sector in the next 10 years?
1: Yes, look, um, there's a few. The the world as we know it is is changing at a pretty rapid rate at the moment. And so... I think uh, climate change. You know, whether you, whether you believe in in climate change or not, I think there's no doubt that the climate, as we know it, has changed for for whatever reason that might be. Um, and you've only got to look at the the bushfires in northern New South Wales and Queensland at the moment. Uh, we're seeing longer, hotter, drier summers. We're seeing fire behaviour in Queensland that they they haven't seen uh, before to this scale. And so we've got to be ready for that. We've got to adapt. Uh, our, our training our response our equipment to deal with that emerging threat um, and and things like storm surge uh, storms flooding as a result of the changing climate so all emergency services have to be ready to adapt uh, to the challenges that the that the world is throwing at us uh, even in the structural environment you know what we've seen with uh, uh, combustible building products um, you know that's that's causing a significant challenge for um, urban fire services right across Australia. Here in Victoria, we've seen issues with the storage of uh, illegal chemicals. Um, we've got the recycling challenges that are, that are causing um, recycled waste to be stockpiled. All of these things create risk in the urban environment that we just hadn't recognised a few years ago. Yes, so- certainly.
0: I can't recall a time where we've had such major sort of hazardous chemical Slash factory fires occurring and it's had a big impact on your organisation,
1: hasn't it? It has. Um, MFB's uh, had a couple of those major fires in the last uh, few years, and so um, yes, I mean an eighth alarm fire was was uh, something that occurred only periodically, and then all of a sudden we're having having them every couple of and years. Just so. for our
0: listeners, an eighth alarm fire means what does that mean for our <laughs> listeners? <laughs>
1: uh, lots of trucks and lots of firefighters. Okay, so don't. it's uh, it's uh, it, it, that was a big commitment for for MFB to be able to support a, a fire like that that mm-hmm. occurred. In in West Footscray uh, last year, um, so so that's a challenge for us. And then, of course, with the world financial environment, you know the the um, slow growth and uh, and issues issues with interest rates. What we're seeing is constricting uh, finances for governments, and so every organisation's being asked to do more with less, if you like, or or do more with at least the same if you're in a fortunate situation. So we've got to be really careful with every dollar that we spend.
0: And emergency management, it's a big business these days. Am I correct in thinking that the combined budget of FFB and CFA is nearly half a billion dollars. Is it in that order? Yes.
1: It'd be over that. So the Metropolitan Fire Brigade's budget is about $530 million. Mm -hmm. Um, CFA, I'm not sure, but I think it'd have to be similar. I think the two fire agencies would be over a billion dollars here in Victoria. Um, Certainly in Queensland, uh, CUFIS's budget is around $740 million. Um, uh, So that's, that's a lot of money. And, uh, Uh, government trust us to spend that wisely and then uh, with summer fire seasons and increasing use of of resources like aircraft you know they're very expensive Mm -hmm. Um, but that's you know that's what we're going to do to deal with the risks that we face.
0: Greg what advice would you have for people just starting in their emergency management career?
1: Uh, This has been a great career for me and, uh, and I think um, the advice would be you get out of it as much as you put into it. You know, I've always been uh, very passionate, always taken training opportunities when they arise, always taken opportunities to, to to go interstate or to do projects, um, uh, not only to further my own knowledge, but to make a contribution to the organisation. And I think if you're looking for a, a great organisation, a great career that gives you prospects, you know, um, it's certainly here in the emergency services, so I'd certainly encourage it for anyone who's who's interested in a in a career change or looking for a for a rewarding career.
0: And certainly, both the uh, Country Fire Authority and the Metropolitan Fire Services has been recruiting really heavily over the past few years. So I, I guess
1: we've got a lot of new blood coming through. Well, we do. I, we've got an aging workforce um, here in Victoria, um, and and so as our our older workers uh, move into retirement. We're going to have to continue to recruit um, to bring people into the service to, and get them skilled up. Um, so it's that balance around uh, you know losing older workers who have been in the service a long time and have built up a whole skill set and generally have a whole range of specialist qualifications and knowledge um, and trying to tap into that with those people to help inform the next generation as they come through and uh, and start their careers.
0: And I guess diversity has been a big issue in emergency management or the lack thereof. How, how do you think we're going to attract a more diverse um, community to get involved in emergency management?
1: Yeah, I think, I think that's right. I think um, the community only think about emergency services when they actually have an emergency. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we spend a lot of energy and time and resources promoting ourselves within the community for recruitment and, and to try and get um, messages through the community to keep themselves safe. And a lot of those messages only stick when people have some reason to to think about emergency services, and that's generally when they've required them in some ways. And so I think we need to get smarter at how we engage with communities, Uh, not only to tap into our traditional uh, workforce, um, you know, younger uh, men who want to join the service, but we need to tap into sporting clubs and and other things so we can get uh, more women into the service, we can get people from more diverse ethnic communities, because we're a very diverse community here in Melbourne and in Australia broadly. And so what we need to do is be reflective of that within the services so that we can best understand our community to deliver the service they need.
0: Mm. And, Greg, can I ask you, what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given in your career?
1: Uh, probably best piece of advice I, I got was early on in my career when assistant chief officer said to me, that that um, CFA isn't a firefighting organisation. It's a people organisation, and so if you take an interest in people, if you look after our people, then they'll look after us by by del- doing the job that they do. And uh, and I think that's exactly right because whilst there's a, a whole lot of focus on the importance of training and safety and delivering our services. At the end of the day, we deliver our services through a whole range of people based out there in the community of Victoria. And if you look after our people, whether they're paid or whether they're not paid, uh, look after the people and they'll uh, they'll look after you.
0: Now, it's interesting, Greg, with you moving up to Queensland, you're going to a very joined up service. A bit different to where we are in Victoria, where we've got numerous services trying to work together under the Emergency Management Victoria framework. What do you think some of the benefits are and some of the challenges are when you go to Queensland about the way the services are delivered?
1: Yes. um, Look, obviously I've got a bit to learn when I get to Queensland, but I've had the opportunity to visit um, a bit in in recent weeks. And um, one of the observations is the the journey that QFIS has been on um, in bringing together a number of different services under the one umbrella organisation of Queensland Fire and Emergency Services. And so... We have uh, the Fire and Rescue Service, which is the, the urban uh, firefighting service, uh, uh, rural fire brigades, Queensland, and the State Emergency Service. And so there's been a, an interesting process that they've gone through um, in terms of how they come together but still retain some uh, autonomy for their own individual organisations. So, for example, things like uniform. So there was a strong push to ensure that the the uniforms and the badging of the agencies remained independent. Uh, that was really important to the people of Queensland Fire and Emergency Service. But at the same time, recognising that um, the the service brings together people with a whole range of skill sets from a whole range of areas. And so whilst people may, may uh, hold the same rank or rank structure across the services, they've come through a very different pathway to get to that And so there's a lot of work going on at the moment to recognise the skill sets that people have and what they can contribute to incident management, for example. So I think all of that makes for a stronger organisation in Queensland and gives them a strong base, because there's no doubt with the sort of emergencies we're dealing with, we very quickly run out of people when we uh, get into campaign-type events, and I think we're starting to see that emerge in Queensland and New South Wales now. And, And even the impact for Victoria, which is... Uh, sending a lot of resources to help Queensland and New South Wales, um, uh, that means makes for an early start here in Victoria. And so you run into potential issues of fatigue. So the more people we can get trained into the incident management space, the better we're going to be. But, of course, we recognise that training uh, is... is uh, uh, time-consuming uh, f- for both the organisations to pull training packages together with all of the competency requirements that come with being a registered training organisation. Training uh, is time-consuming and expensive to deliver. You need uh, lots of trainers to deliver it. And then, of course, in a geographically dispersed organisation, how do you ensure everyone gets training? I think training's the, the one big issue. It doesn't matter which organisation you go to. Uh, volunteers and career staff are always asking for more training opportunities and the organization's always constrained with the resources it's got to deliver training so i think training's a real uh, opportunity in the future through learning management systems where uh, people can be given opportunity to get access to training through technology and things like uh, virtual reality and augmented reality i think the future is there for us to provide safe training environments hopefully close to people's homes so they don't have to travel too far but to give them real world or as close to real world experiences as we can in a safe environment to give them the skill sets that they need.
0: And Greg is there anything else I I should ask you that I haven't already asked? (laughs)
1: Uh, look I think it's been a good opportunity to have a have a chat Stuart um, I appreciate the time and uh, it's been good working with you and um, you know I've had a long association with you and your family I worked, uh, your dad was a, a very senior volunteer within the region that I looked after at uh, Region 15 at Ballarat and uh, he served on the regional planning committee there for, for many years and, and was a very strong leader within the Kyneton group of fire brigades and so it's been uh, good uh, to have an opportunity to have a chat today
0: Wonderful, thank you very much for your time Greg, I appreciate it Thanks Stuart thank you for joining us on the show this week. If you'd like to get in contact with us, please go to emergencymanagementpodcast.com. I'm Stuart Walker, and you've been listening to the Emergency Management Podcast. Bye for now.